Okay, what we're going to attempt to do, um, uh, my name's Earl Seals, not that that's important, but we're going to go to, um, I'm going to work to try to compress um, a semester class at Moody uh, and 30 years of studying into the next uh, 45 minutes. You guys ready for that? All right. I like the energy. I like the response. I'm going to be asking you guys questions. Feel free to interact when I ask the question. But if you remember what Michael spoke on last week, he talked about the inerrancy of God's word, where the Bible actually came from. But I found myself so many times when I was young in my faith trying to read the Bible but not actually understanding it. Because it is, it sounds odd to say this, it's a little chaotic. What I mean by that, it's not in order. And so because it's not in order, historically... Uh, you'll read one section of it, and you'll be like, what is going on? And then you'll read the next section, and you can't quite connect the dots because it jumps all over the place. So I'm going to do a few things. The first I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a higher-level overview of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, then we're going to break it down to what's called a chronological study, where it's all in order historically. Then we're going to do what's called a walk through the Bible, which is the beginning of, the, of creation all the way through to where we're at today uh, into the future when Jesus returns. Is that cool? So, pen and paper at hand. Let's go to the first, which is um, the beginning. The Old Testament. As we know in God's Word, there is what's called the Old Testament and the New Testament, comprised of 66 different books. In the Old Testament, there's 39. In the New Testament, there's 27. But you need to understand that the structure is a little different, right? It's not, I'm just going to open the Bible and read it. I think that's good. Most of us started with Genesis 1-1, and God created the heavens and the earth. We're there. We're cool with that, right? And then we get through, we see that what's called the patriarchal period, where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons show up, and there's this dude named Joseph that gets captured and brought into exile, or brought into Exodus. He's imprisoned, and all that's going on, right? We're there. And then we step into the book of Leviticus. We're like, what? What is going on? And we don't quite connect all of that. But you need to know historically... These books on the left, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, and then it continues to go on to Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. These are the historical timeline. And then you have books of poetry, like Job or Psalms or Proverbs. And you're like, and if you're trying to read it in order, you're like, what is going on? And how does this fit? Song of Solomon in particular. And then you've got prophecy, which is you've got your major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, those, just call them big dogs. Those are the big dogs. And then you got the little dogs, the little minor guys. And they've got a whole, they've got, and every bit of it has awesomeness in it. The problem is, how does it all fit together? And so something that really helped me is the next page. Well, that's the New Testament. You have the Gospels. So we step into the, you know, Jesus is born. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what is that? We know what those are, but... There's what's called the synoptic gospels. You've got four different apostles speaking about their experience walking with Jesus. And they kind of tell their stories. But if you notice sometimes, one person, like Matthew and Luke, will talk about the birth of Jesus, why uh, John and Mark will not. And so you go, huh. And then you go into all the different parables. It shows up sometimes in this book, and sometimes it doesn't in this book. And that's called the synoptic gospels. It would be wise of you to actually get what's called... Um, um, the Synoptic Gospels. That's what I'm trying to say. To get a book on the Synoptic Gospels. I've, I've, I've read that many times to where they actually, 
uh, line the scriptures up side by side. So if one story is told in Matthew, it's also, and it's also still told in Luke, they're side by side, so you can see it. And you'll draw more information out of that, a bigger picture of what's really going on from multiple perspectives. Well, then after that, of course, we have a historical book, which is the book of Acts. Some of us are familiar with that, right? Jesus shows up, the disciples go out, Pentecost, uh, the church is born. And then you have Paul, We know who Paul is, right? Killed a lot of early Christians. Jesus confronted him. He was transformed, saved, gave his life to Jesus. And then he wrote 13 books of the epistles, Paul's epistles, as you can see. And I put those in order for you. Galatians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. But as you go through and look at those, even if you picked up the New Testament, you'll notice that's not all in order. That's a historical timeline. And then you've got writings, additional writings like James and Hebrews and Jude and Peter and John. And then as that finishes, the last book in the New Testament, of course, is Revelation, which is prophecy, which is to come. Now, I want to show you how some of these things intersync or how they sync together. Go to the next slide. And as you'll see, if you go to the hub, you can actually download this. It's called a chronological uh, order of the Bible. If you look at it real careful, it's all over the place. I mean, it's everywhere. That's because this is a historical timeline. In other words, you'll begin to realize that if we, look, we pick up the Isaiah 37, Psalm 76, 2 Kings 19, and Psalm 46, that's all over the place. But it's all historically happening at the same time from different writers and different perspectives. So I would also encourage you that, hey, you don't have to do this, but you can download it off the hub and you can actually go through the Bible at your own pace and you can read it historically and then when, when a psalm is being written, it fits within the context of history. I want to give you an example of that. Go to Psalm, or I mean Isaiah 37. And Isaiah 37, which is the next slide, I think. Isaiah 37, 36, and the angel of the Lord. Okay, I've got to give you, I've got to tell you what's going on. Okay, we're, in a moment, I'm going to talk about this. But we're at a period where the nation of Israel has been formed. Joshua has showed up. The conquest has happened. They've killed 31 other kings. And now Israel is born. A few kings show up, and then there's what's called a divided kingdom. There's a kingdom to the north, and there's a kingdom to the south. The kingdom to the north had a whole lot of kings, and they were just flat out bad. They had a couple of good ones and a lot of really, really bad ones. We're talking about all the crazy stuff, you know, worshiping false gods and sacrificing kids and all this, worshiping Baal. It, just, it was just disgusting, and, and the Lord is trying to call them back and trying to call them back and trying to call them back, but they're like, no, man, no, no thanks. And God said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whoop you. So he sent in the Assyrians, which is the Assyrian Empire, to come down and crush the northern kingdom. That's what's going on in this context. And, at the same, and so at the same time, you've got a northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has just been crushed and the Assyrian empire with 185,000 men are sur- surrounding Jerusalem. King Hezekiah. <laughs> I don't know how you're feeling right about now, how you feel right now. You're now in Jerusalem, by the way, and there's 185,000 men camped around your city. I've been to Jerusalem multiple times. And it's actually surrounded by mountains by which you're looking up into the mountains. And you see the men covering the mountains. Um, and all of your bros just got crushed by the Assyrian Empire. How are you feeling? That's pretty stressful. So what happens right about now is 
the author steps in Isaiah, and he says he's one of the major prophets, right? And he steps in, and this is what he wrote. An angel of the Lord, he tells us what happens. An angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. I actually remember being in Israel uh, and hearing this person just talking about that. And if you look up, you can see, can you imagine 185,000 men dying here? And look what the Lord did. It was incredible. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. Go to the next slide. So that's in Isaiah, but now we go into Psalm. And in Psalms, it says, in, chapter, in, in 76, verse 1 through 6, it says, in, Ju- in Judah, now that may be a little confusing, right? Because I told you there was a divided kingdom in the north and the south. The northern was called Israel. The southern was called Judah. In Judah, where Jerusalem is, God is known. His name is great in Israel. So the psalm now, the psalmist is kind of praising what he has experienced. But we're in Psalm. We're not, no longer in Isaiah. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. There he broke the flashing arrows and shields and swords and the weapons of war. Go to the next slide. The next slide. And glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. Uh, The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. Imagine those guys just conquered the rest of the land. They've got all sorts of spoils. They all have the goods. They got it all up there, but the angels crushed them. They sank into sleep, and the men of war were unable to use their hands. And your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. So now that's in, that's in Psalm. Go to the next slide. So chronologically, it jumps back to 2 Kings. And you're in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 17 through 19. It says, Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste to the nation and their lands. To the north, right? And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Who's writing this? Um, Hezekiah. He's the king. Now, you're the, imagine this. You're the king in Jerusalem. Do you know what happens to the king when another, when another uh, kingdom comes and crushes you? It's not generally really good, just to let you know. Yeah, it's kind of bad. As a matter of fact, the Assyrian Empire, I, I love history, so I study this stuff. You know what they, If you read another psalm, I should have it for you, memorized, but... In another psalm, it actually pulls this out. They will take you uh, by a hook in the mouth. And, they li- and, and that's, that's in the psalm. And then I go into actually archaeology and you study that. And you realize that the Assyrian Empire, when they came down and crushed the north, they led the captives away with a ring through their jaw by a chain. Back to Assyria. I've been to multiple places. Like, and you'll see archaeological digs where... It's just incredible. And you realize how true the Bible really is. It was a psalmist writing about it, and it was incredible. So here you are, the, the king, King Hezekiah. At this point, I'm not sure you really want to be a king. You know that sackcloth and ashes thing? I think all of us would be doing that right about now. you would be like, give me the ashes. <laughs> Whatever sackcloth is, I don't know, but I'm wearing it. Because you are like before the Lord saying, oh God, please save us from this kingdom that is coming to destroy us. And have, see, Assyria laid waste to the nations, I've seen it, and have cast their gods in the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they were destroyed. And Hezekiah saying, oh, so now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, 
Let all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So Hezekiah is praying. God sends an angel and destroys 185,000. Could you imagine the, the environment of uh, Jerusalem now? You're like, yeah, baby, God is awesome. You know, you'd be very, because you just got saved. Go to the next slide. That's in 2 Kings, though. And then you go back to Psalm 46.10. You guys have heard this one. Be still and know that I am God. So within the context, you have to understand that I am insanely stressed out. Uh, the, the, war, the warring king that has destroyed all my bros to the north, the Assyrians are outside the gates. There's a huge army encamped around us. They are going to kill us and destroy us and take, to, take us into captivity. And what is God saying right here in Psalm? He's saying, be still and know that I am God. It's a picture of clenched hands by which you're like, this is us, right? Stressed out. I don't understand. What are you doing, God? And he's saying, be still. Release your hands and know that I am God, and I will show it to you. So chronologically, the first thing that we just stepped into, picking up off where Pastor Michael talked about, you've got the Bible and its inerrancy and its awesomeness, but then you step into actually trying to understand how to read it. I would say a chronological study is a good place to start. This is on the hub for you to download and look at. Let's go to the next thing. Now what we're going to be able to do is walk through the Bible history. And what that means is, uh, chronologically is one thing, but I want to bring you up to speed with where we're at today. Is that cool? Okay, so the first is the foundational period. All of us know this one. Three, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago actually, the beginning was God created the heavens and the earth. If you actually connect that single dot, um, anything is possible with God. If God, I, I, I will actually do this. I'm, I'm really weird. Okay, so I'll see, a, I'll see a flower and I'll be like, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Uh, just the other day, I saw my little puppy dog uh, trying, going, looking out the back door. I was like, incredible. It breathes. Uh, it moves. It thinks. It it does bark a lot. Uh, it loves, it hugs. That is impossible. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? But God created the heavens and the earth. How awesome is the Lord? Isn't it amazing? So the foundational period starts with what? God created the heavens and the earth and all things in it. So just simply awesome. Including Adam and Eve, by which we know the story there. What's the story? Uh, and then sin, sin entered the world, that darn apple. And sin entered the world by which it transferred from one to the next, Cain and Abel. This is per, you guys already get this one. How many of you have children, right? How many of you guys have sinful kids? I don't know if I should say that right like that. Hey, by the way, you were a child. How many of you were sinful when you were little? <laughs> you don't have to teach a child how to sin. How many of you guys remember the first time you sinned, or the first time you lied, or the first time you stole? Who knows what I'm talking about? I remember, uh, you know, I, my, I, I have four kids, and I love them dearly, but I remember my son goes off to school, learns how to read and write, do all that type of stuff. I don't know, second grade, let's say, and the English teacher, whoever that's doing that, says, hey, here's your spelling words. I want you to write a story with these 30 words. And Connor's like, oh, okay, no problem. We get a call from the teacher about this. He says, yeah, and it was... Um, um, once upon a time, 
my English teacher told me to write a story with the following words. And he listed them all and said, the end. Now, I thought to myself, he is a sinner, but at least he's a clever sinner. You guys get it. All of us, sin transferred from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel. And here's the problem, guys. Guess what? We also have that sinful nature. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? It's, not, it's, like, it's like there. It's like I can't get rid of it. It's, it's a constant plague. There were 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and then 10 more generations from Noah to Abraham. Abraham is the second point, which is, is the patriarchal period. I'm going to get there in a second. But the, the fathers of the faith... But there was something super, uh, super important in that section. I, when I was preparing for this, I, I had nothing less than 10 verses per section. If you guys want to be here for three hours, I can go through them. But one significant Bible passage was this, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity, enmity or strife or discord between you and the woman and between you and your offspring. That's sin. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, the seed of the woman is not the seed of man. It's the, it, this is the first reference to Jesus. He's saying, this, he's saying, listen, uh, we are lost. It's not a question whether there's right and wrong. It's not a question whether you and I have sinned. The issue is how do we get restored back in relationship to God? And this is the first glimpse, takeaways. A couple things I pulled out of here very quickly. One was God shows his power. God shows his power in creation. Nothing is impossible with him, and quite frankly, he's just simply awesome. And then second, this is the first point by which you and I see God reaching into the world to start the process of restoration back to himself. So the second thing I wrote down is our sin. It separates us from God, but he provides a way. Second point, remember, 10 generations from Noah to Abraham is the patriarchal period. There are 10 generations now in this period from Abraham to David, and David was a king of Israel. Abraham, these are the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How many of you guys remember that? There's Abraham, who then goes to common day Israel. Of course, he takes his son there, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, which is what? This is the participation part. <laughs> Isaac, which is Jacob and Esau. You guys remember the story? Jacob and Esau, they wrestle and they fight and do all that type of stuff. But Jacob then also has what? A couple of wives. Remember Rachel and Sarah? He has Sarah and Rachel. And then through them, they have 12 sons. Jacob has 12 sons. One that we're pretty familiar with. Who, who knows the one we're pretty familiar with? You got it, Joseph. Because there's one uh, pretty fancy pants. He gets the fancy coat. You know what I'm talking about? He's dancing around the field saying, check out the, check out the coat. Uh, but the other bros, they're like, yeah, I don't think I like this very much. He has a dream, and he said, hey, I have this really cool dream. I can't wait to tell you about it. You're, you, someday you're going to bow down to me. Isn't it awesome? How do the, how do the bros take that? And, nah, I don't like that dream so much. So I got a better plan. What is it? Well, throw you into a pit with no water. And then from there, 
he's sold to the Ishmaelites, which is sold to the Amorites, and then he's sold to the Egyptians, by which he shows up in Potiphar's home. And if you go through the book of Genesis chronologically, you get to this part. In the book of Genesis chronologically, you get to the end. I, there's a striking verse that's in there, which I can't exactly read them all to you, but I will get, I'm going to tell it to you right now. Go to, uh, in chapter, I think it's chapter 50. I remember reading this because it's, um, it's, such, it's incredible. Because it says that, his, remember his bros? I mean, I'm, not, I'm not going to tell you. Who could tell me? What happens when his bros bow down before him? What does he say to them? What? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good so that a remnant of the Jews would be saved. Now think about that for a moment. You're the one down there getting thrown into prison. You've been there for years, rats are chewing on your toes. You got all that going on, right? And it's some, But the Lord's favor was upon him. And somehow you got to get to the point where you're like, you finally, you, can, you know what? God is using this with a purpose. And that's where he was at. And so Joseph, of course, God used what? Joseph to bring his father, Jacob, and his bros down to common day Israel. So if you know where Israel is, that's that's the promised land. What happened in doing that? The Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled. So let's look at the Abrahamic covenant. Back in Genesis Chapter 15, verse 18, it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So to Abraham, way back over here to the left, he's on the timeline, he's like, Abraham, okay, straight up, I'm going to bring you and your descendants into this great land. But there was so much that, and Abraham died and never saw it. Abraham, uh, uh, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons, Joseph in, in, in uh, common day uh, Egypt. And so he, he's promised, he's made a promise. The problem is, what is the length of time from the time that he makes the promise till it's actually fulfilled? Here's one of the takeaways that you'll get from this is that God keeps his promises. They are unconditional. And this is really a big deal for you and I because so often we're walking through this Christian walk and we don't quite get what God's doing right now. But God is faithful even when we don't understand. Can we grab that part? That takes us to the next period, which is the third period. Do you guys remember? Joseph goes down to Egypt. He calls his dad and his bros. They all move down. It's going pretty well for a little while until what? Pharaoh kicks the bucket. And the next one, it says, and they did not remember uh, the, Jew, the deeds of Joseph. So they become what? Slaves. And not slaves for like a year. Does anybody know how long? It may be on the screen. I'm not looking. 430 years. For 430 years, they're making bricks. How excited are you about God's plan right about now? Not super great, right? But here was a striking verse, okay? So... Significant Bible passages at the end of 430 years on that very day. When I read that, I was like, wow, that is incredible. It shows the preciseness of God. Are you with me on that deal? Think about that. Do you think it was by accident that on that very day, God brought them out of the land of Egypt? It was so calculated and so specific with such intent. 
I mean, for me, it's like, I can, it gives me the ability to rest in the chaos of my life, knowing that God is in control even when I don't understand. Does that make sense? And so no doubt they didn't understand, but it said, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So what's happening right now? God, of course, we have what's called the 10 plagues. You guys familiar with that gig? Got the 10 plagues. How many of you guys remember what the plagues were against? Idols, right? So what was happening is those 10 plagues were specifically lined up side by side against the gods of Egypt. So it wasn't by accident that he was bringing uh, the, the water to blood and the locusts and the flies. They had multiple gods. And God was saying, I am the only God. And I will prove it to you by triumphing or destroying the Egyptian gods by which you see. And so after finally what happens? Pharaoh's like, Lo, I can't take it anymore. My firstborn has, de- has died, is dead. And he, get out of here. And he sends them away. And it says that they plundered the Egyptians. That was intentional. And then from there, uh, they cross the Red Sea. Um, I mean, there's just too many moments to say God is awesome. There's just too many spots to say God is amazing. There's too many spots to say nothing is impossible with him. Uh, I actually contemplated in my mind trying to create props uh, for this message. Uh, things like uh, getting a, a staff and a, becoming Abraham and putting on my beard. <laughs> you know, getting a staff and pretending like I was Moses. Getting my Hawaiian shirt and my flip-flops and sunglasses as I'm crossing through the Red Sea. Can you imagine that? You're like, you're sitting there on the Red Sea. You got eight hours head, you, you got eight hours head start a good Pharaoh. Here comes the armies. They're going to put the smack down on you. And God parts the water by which they walk across. And you're just like, God is the bomb. God is awesome. You get to the other side and what happens? The water crushes all the Egyptians. They drowned. You're on the other side now. The exodus has actually happened. Some of the things I took away, um, well, a couple things. Exodus, uh, sorry, 30, 34, verse 27 and 28. You guys get this one, or, or is it, which is the Ten Commandments are given. Are, are given. They cross over. Um, Moses climbs up to Mount Sinai. You guys remember this? And what happens? God is with him. God gives him the Ten Commandments. What's going down at the bottom of the hill? Who knows the story there? It's not good, guys. It's not good. Aaron, his brother, Moses' brother, because Moses was up there so long, they're like, what happened to Moses? Our leader, I mean, did he die? Where is he? They start putting in their jewelry and all their stuff, and they, they create what? A golden calf. Last week or a couple weeks ago, I was uh, here with uh, Peter from Uganda, and as we are connecting and engaged in Africa, in Uganda, you realize that child sacrifice is still present. And as I did study on uh, the worship of Baal, you begin to realize they built a golden calf and they would, they, like this, and it looked like a cow and half man and half cow and, and they, would, they would heat it up in the back and, and then they would lay a child in there to be sacrificed. And you realize when you look at the book of Leviticus, I believe it's in chapter 20 and it says, when you enter the land, uh, do, do not sacrifice your sons and daughters to Moloch, to the false gods. So what's really going on when, they, when uh, Moses is on the, on the top of the hill? And what's really going on when, it, when it Aaron's at the bottom of the hill? 
Aaron down there with the Israelites, they've, they've abandoned God already. They're living in their own fear. And they're, saying, they're adopting the gods of that land. That's not cool. Just in case you don't know, like Earl translation, that's not cool. God didn't think it was very cool. So, uh, but he did give us the Ten Commandments. Why is that significant? By the way, why is that significant? It's the first time that God reveals to us, in a way, a written language by which we, we know right and wrong. You shall not what? Steal, lie, commit adultery, have other gods before me. I mean, he goes through the Ten Commandments, and as you and I look at those and have them as a mirror into our own heart, um, one simple thing, I am pathetic. I am a sinner. Uh, I'm a mess. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I'm a mess. Here's a question. How many of you guys remember the first time you stole something? Okay, so these are the honest people. The rest of you are liars. Okay, so... I remember the first time I stole something. Or not, yeah, the first one consciously I stole something. I liked to fish when I was a little boy. Walmart had fishing lures. I remember looking at those fishing lures. My sin overtook me. I stole one of those little things, stuck in my pocket. I had a good little rooster tail. I am a sinner. The problem with the law is it is a mirror by which it shows us our sin. And he, here's the gig. You with me? I believe there's right and wrong. And if there's right and wrong, what does that do in my relationship to God? It separates us from him. That's what's going on right here. So the takeaways that I grabbed right here is significant about that, that God's, God's timing is perfect, 430 years. But God's standard is perfection. That's what that does. So there's this giant gulf in our relationship between uh, us and the Lord, Okay, they pick, up their, they pick up their staff. If I had my staff with me right now, I'd grab my staff and we would go on a journey again. Here we go walking through the Bible and we're walking. So now we're gonna go on a journey. The next section is um, the wilderness period. We're on our journey, come around the corner. We get to what's called the promised land. The promised land was the promise that God made to Abraham. Do you guys remember that? He said, I'm going to bring you and your descendants to a land that I'm going to give of your own. So they're getting up on top of the hilltop, and there's 12 spies. How many sons did Jacob have? 12. One from each tribe. They get to the top of the mountain, and it's like, okay, guys, straight up. Go in there. Tell us what it's like. See, look, at, look around. Tell us if there's any food in there, what the wells are like. They got any grapes? What's going on? What's the descendants like? So they all go in there. It says they're gone. I think it was 30 or 45 days. I can't remember. They were gone, and they come back. Who can tell me what happened? What? Yeah, 10 of them were like, no, not a good idea. As a matter of fact, I read it carefully, and it said that they lied and said. I thought that was interesting. Wow, they lied. So what was going on inside of them? Fear, doubt, there, as a matter of fact, did you know this? Uh, there were 31 kingdoms. There were 31 kings. So there's 31 kings in the promised land. And we got to go over there, and it's got, you know, you and me, you got a sword that you made out of some iron ore you picked up along the way, and you got a stick, and I got a pitchfork, and we're going to go conquer the land. 
God has given this to us. They're like, uh, bad idea. Ten of them was like, no way, not going to happen. Two of them said, yeah, that's a cool idea. We, we should go. God is with us, and if God's with us, that's all that matters. But they said, no, we're not going. And so they chose not to go. That kindled God's anger against them. So he sent them on a wandering circle through the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years. They probably should have just went. But until that generation died, they were not allowed to enter the promised land. Moses kicks the bucket after 40 years, and the next one appointed is Joshua. But let's look at some significant Bible verses that go along with this. Exodus 16, 35, the the people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. In verse 29, 5, it says, I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn out on your feet. Now think of that. You're walking around for 40 years, and there's there's so many stories in here from God leading them by the clouds by day and the fire at night. He's providing manna that comes down like a flaky bread for six days of the week. He provides quail to the degree that they have so much they quit grumbling because they've got too much. He's, at the same time, they're on a journey, and on the journey, none of their shoes wear out. None of their clothes wear out. What do, you, what do we say? God is awesome. God is awesome. Anything is possible with him. Some of the takeaways I grabbed, just a few. God always provides for his children. Listen to that. Even during our grumbling and discipline. Um, God disciplines those he loves, but he doesn't abandon us. So that generation died after 40 years. Moses looks into the promised land, but then... He kicks the bucket. Who's the next guy in charge? Joshua. We know this one from when we were kids, right? We're standing on the other side of the Jordan River. We're going to walk across the river. What's the first little kingdom we're going to attack? Who is it? Jericho. We're going to blow our trumpets. We're going to walk around that thing seven times. That was the first of 31 kingdoms. That's a hard gig, man. You and me, we're going to walk around, we're going to destroy all this because God said so. There were so many amazing things in this section of history, of human history, the conquest period. Number one, the Abrahamic covenant was fulfilled. God fulfilled what he said he would do. God used Joshua and the people of Israel to fight But here's the bigger thing. It wasn't just them fighting. It was the Lord fighting. Very quickly, if you look at Joshua chapter 10 and verse 10 through verse 13, which is not all on the screen, I'm going to read it to you. The first verse in chapter 10, verse 10 says, And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them down with a great blow. It was the Lord who threw those kingdoms into panic. That's part of it, right? Look at verse 11. And as they fled, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. How awesome is that? At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day. day, So Joshua goes before the Lord. 
when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel. So he's before all the people, and he's praying to God, and he says, sun, stand still, and moon, and the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nations took vengeance on their enemies. God's awesome. God is awesome. I'm going inter- to interject an insanely cool story for you. Uh, so my, um, my dad died a couple years ago. And as my dad's dying of lung cancer, it is everywhere all over his body. Right? So I get a call from my sister. Hey, you better get down here. Dad's not doing well. I fly down there. I didn't even recognize my dad. He didn't even know what. I could, what? I walk into the farmhouse and there's dad. And he's um, uncomfortable. He can't stand up. He can't sit down. He can't lay down. He's in pain all the time. He goes to bed. I go over to the other farmhouse. There's two farmhouses on the farm. I go over there and sleep. The next morning I got up. I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I said, I know you can heal people, but I can't ask you to heal my dad. He's been sucking those stupid cigarettes for, uh, since he was 13 to 63 for 50 years. But God, would you do this one thing for me? Would you take away his pain? I got up off my knees. I walked over uh, to... Uh, uh, over to the farmhouse, I waited. Dad woke up, came out of his bedroom. First thing I said, Dad, how's your pain? And he went, huh, I don't hurt anymore. And then God, God did something awesome. He made the sun stand still for a week. My dad and I drove around in my pickup, his pickup truck, uh, playing with cows and moving sticks off of wire fences and talking for a full week. On Sunday, and, I, and this is what I said to my dad when I left. I said, Dad, you're going to die soon. He knew the Lord. I said, Dad, you're going to die soon. And when you die, um, say hi to my brother who had died when he was 21. I said, say hi to John, and I'll see you in five minutes. I got on a plane, flew back to Chicago Monday. Monday uh, my uh, sister called me Monday afternoon and said, Earl, Dad, dad is back in the hospital. His pain is off the charts. They started an MRI at his head. By the time they got to his shoulders, they stopped. Uh, the entire back part of his skull is eaten away with the cancer. So you guys tell me what happened. God stopped time so that we could have that week together. That's how awesome God is. Unbelievable. Just like hailstones that fall upon the people, or just like the sun that stopped or the moon that stopped, nothing is impossible with God. So Joshua and the bros, they keep going down, they keep going. They conquer the land. How many, how many sons are there? There are 12 sons of Jacob. However, after they conquered the land, oh, oh, significant verses. I forgot that, so we're gonna read that. And the Lord of Israel did what, let me make sure I didn't mess this up. Is it up there? Yep, there it is. And the Lord of Israel did what was evil in the sight, uh, the people of Israel did what was uh, evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. I told you about that. So the anger of the Lord, and he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them. Here's the takeaway. His discipline brings us to repentance. So even though they conquered the land of Israel, and as time progressed, they broke the land into 11 tribes, not 12. The Levitical tribes, the son of Levi, became the priestly tribe. A priest is someone who, in essence, we would go before that would bring us to the Lord. 
to God. A prophet is where God, God speaks through the prophet to us. There's the distinguishing difference between a priest and a prophet. So there's, there's 11. The nation is divided up into 11 different parts. Aaron was the first priest. But the problem is they fell away from the Lord. So what happened? There was a cycle of judges. Go to the next. Right here. There it is. God discipline brings us to repentance. Go to the next slide. So what, what, there was a cycle that happened by which the, if you go through the book of Judges and you read it, it's going to be real simple. Sin, uh, they fall away. God brings someone to crush them and to discipline them. They fall into repentance and then uh, God restores them. And then it'll say something really significant when you read it. It says this, and then that generation forgot about the Lord. So the next generation forgot about the Lord, and then they would fall away. And so the judges, in essence, were, they, they were people that ruled, but at the same time, they weren't quite as fancy pants as a king. They were a judge. They didn't have all the pomp and robes and all that type of stuff. God would use them as a, as a warrior leader to free them. Who remembers what happens next? The judges are there, but after a number of judges, remember Samson? Samson's in the room with us right now, back there at the podium. If you are back at the, his long hair right there, I told him I'd say that. He got Samson and all the power, strong dude, right? Got Deborah, you got all these judges. But eventually, who can tell me what the people of Israel did? They're like, I, I, don't want, I don't want a judge. I want what? Give me a king. Give me a king. And God is like this. I want to be your king. And they're like, we don't care about that part. We want a king of just like what? All the other nations. So God's like, okay, man, straight up. All right. You want a king? We're going to give you a king. So who is the first king? This is called the United Kingdom. Okay, United Kingdom. There's three kings in the United Kingdom. The first is Saul. Saul had a was partially committed to the cause. He was a lot more committed to me. Let me say that, me, not we. Saul had a partial heart. David had a whole heart. And then the third king was Solomon. He asked for wisdom and God gave him a ton of wisdom and gave him a ton of wealth. You guys remember that? I can't tell you everything about the three kings. That was the United Kingdom. But specifically, as you read through that, you begin to learn something about God. Um, as a matter of fact, if you read about Saul, uh, Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 9, read it. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, when he is chosen, uh, he is chosen by God, and then, the, and then you continue to read, and you'll find out he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was handsome and fancy pants, you know what I'm saying? That was Saul, but his heart wasn't totally in. David, he was a little Ronnie scrunt. He was the last born. He was out in the fields, little, you know what I'm saying? But it says he had a whole heart. Solomon got wisdom and a lot of riches, but you actually biblically can't even heart. I'm not even sure he knew the Lord. That's still up for debate. But nonetheless, David, you begin to read about it. Hey, you can, you know, you can be handsome. You can have all the money in the world. But you know what really God wants? Your heart. You'll see this pattern over and over and over again. Not your deeds. 
Matter of fact, if you look at Isaiah chapter one, you'll see this. The institution of uh, sacrifices in place at the temple. And they're sacrificing thousands of goats and pigeons and animals for our sin. The priesthood was set up. And God said, enough of that. I don't care about the goats and the blood of rams. I just want your heart. So the thing that stood out in this section is this verse, which is, Acts 13, verse 22. And when they had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and who will do my will. I'd speak to you fathers regarding this, and mothers, I guess, now that I say about it, think about it. I want, when you go through, the, as you move forward in your walk with Christ, okay, you with me? Maybe you study the chronological Bible study like I talked about. I want you to read the kings, about the kings, and how many times you see this, and God did not destroy them because of David. How many times have you seen that? Because of my servant David, I will withhold my wrath. That is a big deal. Uh, I, uh, I actually am afraid of, I'm afraid of the Lord. I, I, I have actually been spanked by God. I've been whooped good. Enough that a good whooping says, I don't want that again. And, but at the same time, it's interesting. Many, many times you will see God, um, I do believe this, has favor upon you for your family by walking in purity and holiness. I've seen it over and over again. Just a little word of caution. Fear the Lord, pursue holiness because it does impact generations. You see this being played out in, in, uh, in David's life. All right, take away. Uh, God wants your heart above all things. Oh my goodness, time is fast. David, now we come to what's called a divided kingdom. You got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, real simply, had a lot of bad kings. They worshiped a lot of bad, bad idols. Look in 1 Chronicles 5, verse 26, it says, So God of Israel stirred up a spirit of the king of Assyria who took them into exile. We're stepping into what we read earlier. So the king of Assyria crushed them and took them into exile. Take away. Listen to this one. God's patience does eventually wear out. Wickedness. He, he's patient, but it eventually wears out. The next, so now the northern kingdom is crushed by Assyria, so there's only one kingdom left. We call that the single kingdom. But guess what happens? Their kings don't follow after the Lord. Some of them do, but not all of them to where, guess what happens? God's patience wears out. So he sends the Babylonian empire across the desert to, to conquer them. We're familiar with this. If you look at the significant Bible uh, the verse, it says in Daniel 1, 1 through 8, it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Judah is the southern kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. We know who Daniel is. What's up with Daniel? Daniel's the dude that's like, I'm not bowing down. I'm not doing, I'm not doing it. And what happened when he said, I'm not doing it? They threw him in the fire, the furnace, and then there was another in the fire. Do you guys remember that? There was another in the fire. Who's the other person walking around in the fire with him? And his bros. It was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. But guess what? 
God, God, God's patient ran out. He crushed them. He sent, he sent Daniel and the people of the Jewish nation under bondage for 70 years under King Nebuchadnezzar. Takeaway. When, God, when we stand for God, he will stand for us. You see that in Daniel's life. All right, 70 years, we're in captivity. But God is so awesome that he even works in the hearts of pagan kings. First king was King Cyrus. King Cyrus, check out this verse. You gotta read this verse. Okay, ready? Then in 2 Chronicles 36, 23, thus says King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all kingdoms on earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. So God says to King Cyrus, hey, uh, send the people back to build the te- rebuild the temple. And Cyrus is like, I got this idea. I should send the people back to rebuild the temple. You can see there's three places you'll find this. The temple was rebuilt in Ezra chapter one through chapter six. So there's three phases to this. He takes a group of them, sends them back. It's a number of years in process here. But Ezra chapter one through six, they rebuild the temple. The biggest majority of the people go with in the book of Ezra are led back between chapter seven and in chapter 10. Then once the temple was rebuilt and a lot of the people were there, you see uh, in Nehemiah, uh, Zerubbabel, I'd like to have a name like that. It's kind of like Earl. It's kind of out of context a little, but Zerubbabel, that's a crazy name. But they go, he brings back the bros to do it. They rebuild the, the walls around Jerusalem. That's what you're seeing going on there. Here's the takeaway, that God preserves a remnant with intent. So even though they had been taken into captivity, there was a promise. What was the promise? If you go back to the life of David, God said, I will send a savior through the line of David. If all the Jews had been destroyed, how would that have happened? So God very intentionally preserved the Jewish nation by which Jesus would come. So he says to King Cyrus and Darius, hey, you should send them back. So they go back and reestablish the nation of Israel, rebuild the temple, reestablish the common day Israel. So guess what happens? The very next section in world history is an intertestament. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament is a 400-year period of time that God is silent. They go through the sacrificial systems. At the same time, the Roman Empire shows up on the scene. And you guys know about the Romans, man. They were the bomb. Those guys crushed everyone, including the nation of Israel. They're now occupying common day Israel. They're occupying Jerusalem. And something happens. Guess what it is? Jesus shows up. So the intertestament is 400 years of silence. Then, you know, by the way, I forgot to take away. God is still present even in the silence. He was still there. He just had to wait for his perfect timing. The next section is is Jesus, where Christ is born. And we know that you can find that in Matthew 1 and in Luke. And going into the house, they saw a child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. This is what we've been waiting for, isn't it? All the way from Genesis 3, I will send someone to crush uh, Satan's head. That was in Genesis 3, verse 15. And all this has happened with intent and with perfection by which Jesus shows up on the scene. I am the Messiah. 
the next section, Christ is crucified in 33 AD. The Old Testament law is fulfilled. We all know this verse. We grew up with it. For God so loved you and me, he gave his son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In other words, you know, that wrong, you know the wrong thing that we got going on, the sin thing? Someone has to pay the price for wrong. Either you pay it or Jesus paid it. There it is. So Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. The next verse we're familiar with in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches of his grace. Takeaway, real simple. God gave his son as a payment for our sin. And in closing, these last couple of verses, we're almost done. Establishment of the church. So you guys remember, you remember that happens in Acts, in the book of Acts, and it expands all over the, com- the world today. And that's how we get the church today, is now here is Village Church, is that we are in the, ch- the period of time by which the church is established, the bride of Christ. And our job is to go and tell the world about Jesus. But let me just tell you what's going to happen. Because as you go on to Revelation, you begin to realize a couple of things. Do you guys realize that Titus in 70 AD crushed the Jews? Once again, love history. I've been to Masada, which is at the top of this huge peninsula in in Jerusalem. And there, or outside of Jerusalem, the last Jewish revolt. So the Romans come in and crush them. And then they eventually uprise. And they're like, we want our freedom. And they fight against the Romans. The last stand was at Masada. And, And then the Romans built this rock bridge by throwing pebbles in this huge valley to get up to the top of it. It took them three years to do it. They conquered the last of the Jewish people. Now imagine this, that was Titus who did that, Roman Emperor Titus, or uh, the Roman General Titus. And then from there, the Jewish people were scattered all over the face of the world. But if you understand a little bit about prophecy, there's a couple things that need to happen. Number one, the temple must be rebuilt. There's three temples to be built. Two of them have been built. The temple must be rebuilt. How is that possible if there is no Jewish nation? That's why in 1947, after World War II, the Jewish people came together and said, we must have a way to protect ourselves. Therefore, they flew back into, they flocked into common day Israel and reestablished the nation of Israel after 1,700 years. And I have been on the Temple Mount by which there is room, literally, I, I get too much to go through, to rebuild the temple. By which then the next thing is what? Christ returning. So in closing, I've got to give you this last verse, verse, which is on the screen. This sums up a lot of what I just shared with you. In him, we've obtained an inheritance. For those who have given our life to Christ, we've, we have an inheritance to come, sealed by the Holy Spirit having been predestined according to the purpose of him. It's predestined. He knows your name. It's not an accident you're here today. If you've never given your life to Jesus for the payment of your sin, you absolutely should do that. Be adopted and owned and sealed by the Holy Spirit, adopted as one of his. And this is a big part. Of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Think of that. When, when, uh, when the people were being enslaved, that was under the counsel of his will. When they were, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar was coming, Assyrians were showing up, Nebuchadnezzar was taking them away, that was under the counsel of his will. 
when there was a 400-year period of silence, that was under the counsel of his will. When the church was established and the disciples were set up and you and I got to hear about Jesus and we're here today, that's under the counsel of his will. I'm reading that just recently and the comfort that brought to me because quite frankly, um, it begins to help me understand that in, the, in chaos of life, ups and downs, sideways, craziness, I don't always understand, but I can have peace resting under his authority knowing what? That all things fall under the counsel of his will. Does that make sense? All right.